those who are currently grieving from the loss of their loved ones. May the truth of your salvation, who is Yeshua, be made evidently clear by the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of the living God. We ask that they come to a place in their lives where they acknowledge him as their savior and Messiah, that he died upon the tree for their, on their behalf. And we just ask, almighty God, not only for those who are grieving during this time, but also we lift up our Jewish people around the world who are now in the midst of experiencing the days of awe. Yom Kippur is coming this next week, next Thursday. Wednesday evening is our Kol Nidre. And so, Father God, we just pray that your spirit would speak to our people as never before. Remove the veil from their eyes so they can see who is salvation but Yeshua, the one who came, who was prophesied by the prophets of old to come and die on behalf of the nation of Israel. And not only for that, for all people could come to know Messiah through knowing him. And so, Father God, we just ask, Almighty God, that you would speak to the Jewish people pertaining to them coming to know Messiah, that their names may be inscribed in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, Almighty God. We give you glory and honor and praise in Yeshua's name. Amen. Continuing now on the series, the Acts of Yeshua's Emissary Shalakim, chapter 21. This is part eight of this series. And with this, let us begin in verse one of Acts 21. After we had torn ourselves away from the Ephesian elders, we set sail and made a straight run to Kos. Next day, we went on to Rhodes and from there to Patera. And on finding a ship that was crossing over to Phoenicia, we embarked and set sail. After sighting Cyprus, we passed on its left and sailed to Syria and landed at Zeor, because that was where the ship was unloading its cargo. Having searched out the Talmudim, the disciples there, we remained for a week, guided by the Ruach, by the Spirit. They told Shaul not to go up to Jerusalem. But when the week was over, we left and could continue our journey. All of them with their wives and children accompanied us, and we were outside the town, kneeling on a bench and praying. We said goodbye to each other. Then we boarded the ship, and they returned home. When the voyage from Zeor was over, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and there we, we were greeted by brothers and stayed them with them overnight. The following day, we left and came to Caesarea, where we went to the home of Philip, the proclaimer of the good news, one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters with the gift of prophecy. And while we were staying there, a prophet named Agav came down from Yehuda. To visit us, he took Shaul's belt and tied up his own hands and feet and said, Here's what the Ruach HaKodesh says. The man 
who owns this belt. The Judeans in Jerusalem will tie him up just like this and hand him over to the Gentiles. And when we had heard this, both we and the people there begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. But Shaul answered, what are you doing crying and trying to weaken my resolve? I'm prepared not only to be tied up, but also to even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Yeshua. And when he would not be convinced, we said, may the Lord's will be done. And we kept quiet. So at the end of our stay, we packed up and went on to Jerusalem. And with us went some of the Talmudim from Caesarea. They brought us to a home of the man with whom we were to stay, Mason from Cyprus, who had been a Talmud disciple since the early days. In Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. And the next day, Shaul and the rest of us went to see Yaakov, and all the elders were present. And after greeting them, Shaul described in detail each of the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his efforts. On hearing it, they praised God, but they also said to him, you see, brother, how many of tens of thousands of believers there are among the Judeans, and all are zealots for the Torah. Now, what they have seen, what they have been told about you, is that you're teaching all the Jews living in, among the Gentiles to apostatize from Moshe, telling them not to have the Brit Milah for their sons, not to follow the traditions. What then is to be done? Then they will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them with you to be purified with them and pay the expenses connected with having their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that there is nothing to do to these rumors which you, they have heard about you. But on that, on the contrary, you yourself stay in line and keep Torah. So now as we dig a little bit deeper here, Shaul's teaching not to circumcise and not to observe the Jewish laws and customs were never directed to Jews, but invariably only to the Gentiles. Gentiles had to be reassured that they were saved and incorporated into the people of Israel, grafted into the commonwealth by trusting through Messiah Yeshua and not by observing this or that set of Jewish practices or by converting to Judaism. For although Judaism acknowledged that the righteous Gentile had a share in the world to come, there was in the first century a strong movement for Jewish proselytism going forward. Saul did not need to instruct the diaspora Jews to observe the Torah, for there were no shortage of rabbis and teachers to exhort them. Moreover, what in the Tanakh could be clearer than the Jews are expected to keep the Torah? The Brit Hadishah, the New Testament, does not repeat truths evident from the Tanakh. It assumes them. Shaul assumed them too, and thus we dispose of the indictment against Shaul. But this verse also hints at a crucial question for today's Messianic Jews. Should Messianic Jews keep the law? And so this is a question that the spirit of the living God speaks to their hearts. 
because we are saved first and foremost through Messiah Yeshua. Now going forward, uh, Yaakov, who was Yeshua's brother, said to him, you, you yourself stay in line and keep Torah. He was acknowledging this over Rav Shaul. Some assert that when Shaul came to faith in Yeshua, that he stopped being Jewish. He ceased observing Torah and began teaching other Jewish believers in Yeshua to do the same. Yet those who hold this view have a problem with the ethics of these verses. Nothing in the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, justifies this understanding of how Yaakov, Jacob, and Shaul, Saul, or any other Jewish believer in Yeshua functioned. In fact, this is the thinking that contradicts Shaul's own testimony that we'll be getting into later once we go through Acts chapter 28, verse 17. So the action is necessary now to head off the violent confrontation with the zealots due to their believing a false rumor. In spite of their, the arguments in verse 21 confirming Shaul's loyalty to Judaism and Torah, many Christians today suppose that when Shaul came to faith in Yeshua, he stopped becoming Jewish. Have you ever typed your notes twice? That's what I did there. So let's move forward. In verse 21, 23, we have four men who are now under a vow. This was a voluntary vow. The terms are set forth in Mishnah Nazir. Generally, such vows were from one to three months in length. The outward elements consisted in not touching anything dead, refraining from any product of the grapevine, and not cutting one's hair. For us to get full clarification of this, let us now turn to the book of the Midbar, the book of Numbers. Looking at chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Numbers chapter 6, verse 1. And Adonai said to Moshe, Tell the people of Israel, when either a man or a woman, have you ever read that before? It's either a man or a woman, will make a special kind of vow, the vow of a Nazir. Consecrating himself to Adonai, he is to abstain from wine and other intoxicating liquor. He is not to drink vinegar for from either source. He's not to drink grape juice. He's not to eat grapes or raisins as long as he remains a Nazir. He is to eat nothing derived from the grapevine, not even grape skins or seeds throughout the period of his vow as a Nazir. He is to, not to shave his head until the end of time for which he has consecrated himself to Adonai. He is to be holy. He is to let the hair on his head grow long Throughout the period for which he has consecrated himself to Adonai, he is not to approach a corpse. He is not to make himself unclean for his father, mother, brother, or sister. And when they die, since his consecration to God is on his head, throughout the time of his being a Nazir, he is holy to Adonai. If anyone next to him dies very suddenly, so that it defiles his consecrated head, then he is to shave his head on the day of his purification. He is to shave it on the seventh day. On the eighth day is to bring two doves or two pigeons to the Kohen, to the priest, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The Kohen 
is to prepare one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and thus make atonement for him inasmuch as he sinned because of the dead person. That same day he is to reconsecrate his head. He is to consecrate to Adonai the full period of being a Nazir by bringing a male lamb in its first year as a guilt offering. The previous days will not be counted because of his consecration became defiled. Verse 13, this is the law of the Nazir. When his period of consecration is over, he is to be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting, where he will present his offering to Adonai, one male lamb in its first year without defect, as a burnt offering, one female lamb in its first year without a defect as a sin offering, one ram without a defect as a peace offering, a basket of matzah loaves made of fine flour mixed with olive oil, and unleavened wafers spread with olive oil, their grain offerings and their drink offerings. The coin is to bring them before Adonai and offer his sin offering, his burnt offering, and his ram as a sacrifice and peace offerings to Adonai with a basket of matzah. The Kohen will also offer a grain offering and drink offering that go with the peace offering. The Nazar will shave his consecrated head at the entrance of the tent of meeting and take the hair removed from his consecrated head and put it under the fire, the sacrifice of peace offerings. When the ram has been boiled, the Kohen is to take its shoulder one loaf of matzah from the basket and one unleavened wafer and place them in the hands of Nazar. After he has shaved his consecrated head, the Kohen is to wave them as a wave offering before Adonai. This is set aside for the Kohen as long with the breast for the waving and the raised up thigh. Following that, the Nazar may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazar who makes a vow and for his offering to Adonai, for him being a Nazar, in addition to anything more for which he has sufficient means in keeping with whatever vow he makes. He must do it according to the law of the Nazar. And so with this, we can see a type of consecrating yourself unto the Lord, undeniable to the Jewish people. If Rav Shaul committed himself to not only uh, paying for himself and waiting seven days, but also paying for four other men, this would constitute that all those false accusations against him were just that. They were false. So now let us continue with God's word. So, this is a, the Torah of Nazir on the day when the period of his vow is now completed. He is brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting to present his offering to Adonai. And I just shared that portion there before. Now continuing here. Clearly the four men were poor. Otherwise, they could have brought their own sacrificial animals and gifts. Shaul as a patron must do more than merely pay the expenses. He too must be accepted by whom? But by the koinim. And be ritually purified. This process took up to seven days. So, going forward, everyone will know 
which implies certain knowledge of what is true in contrast with what they had been told. This means that Yaakov already understood perfectly that the zealous Jerusalem believers would soon see that there's nothing to these rumors at all that they've heard about Shaul. But on the contrary, in Yaakov's own words to Shaul, you yourself shall stay in line. You shall walk. You shall stand in line with the ranks of all those others who keep Torah unto Adonai. So let us now continue in Acts chapter 21 and 25. Acts 21 and 25. However, in regard to the Gentiles, who had come to trust in Yeshua, we all joined in writing them a letter with our decision that they should abstain from what had been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled from fornication. The next day, Shaul took the men and he purified himself along with them and he entered the temple to give notice of what of the period of purification would be finished and when the offering would have to be made for each of them. The seven days were almost up when some unbelieving Jews from the province of Asia saw him in the temple and they stirred up all the crowd and they grabbed him. They said, men of Israel help, they shouted. This is the man who goes everywhere teaching everyone things against the people and against Torah and against this place. And now he's even brought some Gentiles into the temple and defiled this holy place. They, verse 29, they had previously seen Trimetheus from Ephesus in the city with him and assumed that Shaul had brought him into the temple. So verse 30 says, so the whole city was aroused and the people came running from all over. They seized Shaul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. But while they were attempting to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman battalion that all Jerusalem was in turmoil. Immediately he took, the off, took officers and soldiers and charged down upon them. And as soon as they saw the commander, they quit, quit beating Shaul. So here it's speaking about unbelieving Jews in verse 27. These unbelieving Jews were from Asia, and they're the ones that stirred up all the crowd, which included many Judean unbelieving Jews. Unbelieving in Judaism? No. Unbelieving that Yeshua is the Messiah. And so here are now five lies. More accusations against Rav Shaul in Acts 21-28. Shaul did not teach against the people or against the Torah or against this place, nor had he brought some Gentiles into the temple or defiled this holy place. These accusations were precisely the ones most likely to stir up the feelings against him. A Gentile entering the temple's inner court would have certainly had been seen as defiling it. Going forward now, Promesius, he was from Ephesus, whom Saul had brought with him. That's found in Acts chapter 20, verse 5. And people from the province of Asia, that's recorded in Acts chapter 4, would have been the ones most likely to recognize him. 
because they lived in the same community. Acts chapter 21, verse 30. Let's continue. For the whole city was aroused and the people came running from all over. They seized Shaul and dragged him out of the temple. And once the gates were shut, but while they were attempting to kill him, the word reached the commander of the Roman battalion that all Jerusalem was in turmoil. Immediately he took officers and soldiers and charged down upon them. And as soon as they, he saw the commander, they saw the commander, they quit beating Shaul. And so with this, in Acts chapter 21, verses 30 through 32, the Roman battalion was stationed in the Antonio Fortress, immediately adjacent to the temple grounds. So it did not take long for them to arrive and to, and to prevent the mob from lynching Rab Shaul. Now going forward, in verse number 35. Excuse me, verse 33. Then the commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be tied up with two chains. He asked who he was and what he had done. Everyone in the crowd shouted something different. So since he couldn't find out what had happened because of the uproar, he ordered him back to the barracks. When Shaul got to the steps, he actually had to be carried by the soldiers because the mob was so wild. The crowd kept following and screaming, kill him, kill him. As Shaul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, is it all right if I say something? The commander said, you know Greek? Say, aren't you the Egyptian who tried to start a revolution while a while black back and led 4,000 armed terrorists into the desert? Shaul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of an important city, and I asked your permission to let me speak to the people. Having received permission, Shaul stood on the steps and motioned with his hand to the people. When they had finally became still, he addressed them in Hebrew. So now going here a little bit deeper here, a dramatic and inspiring instance of what Ephesians 5.16 says. For us to do, do what? But to redeem the time. Shaul turns his rescue into an opportunity for now proclaiming the good news to his would-be killers, showing them grace and love and mercy. Because he knows that at one time in his life, he was part of their ranks. They're wanting to put to death Anyone who followed Yeshua, who proclaimed himself as the only way, the truth, and the life to the Father. So going forward here, as we dig a little bit deeper, in Acts 21, 38, the first century historian Josephus reports that he came to Jerusalem around 53 common era, during the time of Felix, and he's speaking about now about this Egyptian that this Roman commander is speaking of. And at this time, someone out of Egypt who said that he was a prophet and he advised the masses of the common people to go out with him to the Mount of Olives where he would show them how at his command, the walls of Jerusalem would fall down. 
And he promised that he would enable them to enter the city through those walls after they had fallen down. When Felix was informed of these things, he ordered his soldiers to take weapons, and he came against them from Jerusalem with a great number of horsemen and footmen. He attacked the Egyptians and the people with him, slaying 400 of them and taking 200 alive. The Egyptian, he himself, he escaped from the battle, but not, did not appear anymore. And so this is condensed from the Antiquity, antiquities of the Jews, 28 and 6. And so Rav Shaul, he rose up and he began to address his brothers who were against him in Hebrew. The Hebrew language, which could have either been Aramaic, heard more often in the public, or Hebrew, still spoken in public and also in the home. And so we end now this message today because next message as we continue with the series of the book of Acts, we will hear Rav Shoul's testimony that's been translated from the Greek, from the Brit Hadishah into English so that we can understand it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so Father God, we are inspired by those that you have risen up and called by your name. Rav Shaul and many others, Almighty God, are living inspirations to us, Almighty Father. How we are to live all our lives in Messiah, proclaiming the good news and willing to lay down our very lives so that others may hear the good news and receive it. Father, we just continue to pray for believers around the world. Almighty God, our brothers and sisters who are suffering in various countries, who are now in the process of laying down their lives early for the proclamation of the kingdom of God so that everyone will see and hear. And Father, when we think of counting the cost, are we willing to count the cost and forsake everything and sacrifice everything so that the kingdom of God will be proclaimed and that all the people of the earth, both men, women, and children, may hear of God's salvation. To your name be all praise and glory and honor. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone.